The DeFalco Files is an entertainment-based program. Some memories of certain events might be fuzzy. All opinions are that of the host. Content might not be appropriate for children and some adults. Listener discretion is advised. And remember, the truth is here. Vegas Bad Boys of Podcasting presents The DeFalco Files with FSW owner Joe DeFalco and your host, Matt Michaels. Hey everybody, Matt Michaels here. I'm the DeFalco Files, the owner and creator of FSW, the future stars of wrestling girl in Las Vegas, Mr. Joe DeFalco. And Joe, it is Super Bowl week. How, uh... Do you see it playing out this week? I'm going to give out the uh, 1-800-JOE-WINS uh, two-team parlay of the uh, of the year. Uh, I'm going to go with the 49ers in the over. Ooh, and, okay. And so the line's two. Uh, the over is a 47 and a half. I'll probably do a few prop bets, take like the 49ers minus six and a half. So they got to win by seven. And maybe the over 53 and a half. And if you bet like 20 bucks on that, you might win like $200 because you get higher odds based off the number. Since there's a win, you know, since the line's two, if you make the line six and a half, then their odds become much higher. And then, of course, you're going to look in, you know, not a lot to bet on the, the Super Bowl. You can't tease things, you know, you bet one or the other. So that's when the prop bets become big and who's going to score the first touchdown and who's going to score touchdowns and field goals. You know, I found one that was in my uh, Facebook from like 2000, I think 14. I don't even know what it was where I had bet both kickers would kick field goals over 37 yards. And it was like plus a dollar fifty. So you bet a hundred bucks, you win a hundred and fifty plus your money back. And that's a good bet because you know both teams got good defenses, to, and teams will get stopped. Uh, at, you know, all they got to do is get stopped all the way down the field from the twenty to say the thirty-five, and there's a good chance to kick a field goal. So if they got that prop bet, uh, Kansas City's got a way better kicker than the 49ers. 49ers kickers a rookie. Uh, I believe he's from Michigan. He was really he was great in Michigan, but he's been pretty mediocre. Right. So, you know, then you also go with hey, is somebody gonna kick a field goal more than fifty-five yards? You know, back in the day that was unheard of, but now it's and they juiced up their legs, the kickers now. They're kicking sixty yarders like it's nothing. Um Uh, I never count out the Chiefs. That's what I said against the the, the Ravens. It's you know I, I just I believe the 49ers are the better team. I think uh, you know the Chiefs got theirs last year. Didn't think they were that playing very well this year, but they got it to the Super Bowl. So I think it's the 49ers year. Last year Purdy got hurt in the championship right. game, so should be a good game. Well, I mean, the 49ers have the white jerseys, which I believe the stat right now is 13 of the last 16 years, the white jerseys have won the Super Bowl. So that's a little bit of a, a 
you know, a little odd swear, but the Chiefs have Taylor Swift and the number 13 behind them because Taylor's lucky number is 13. They're playing on 211, which equals 13. Her next album is 13. Their quarterback's jersey wow. is 13. I, I thought they were playing on 211-24, so wouldn't that be like 37? <laughs> or are you only going to take the numbers that make it equal 13? Well, you know, the the, uh, the I'm, I'm sure if I was good at math that there is some equation that works out that all those numbers equal 13. Yeah, I heard the game, uh, the, the start of the game is going to be delayed until she actually gets here from Japan. So, you know, hopefully there's no plane crash, you know. It's a 12 and a half hour plane ride and with customs, that's 13 hours. So uh, are, are we sure they're going to worry about customs with her? <laughs> well, you got to figure, you know, getting her on plane and taxing her. Yeah, 13 yeah. hours. Yeah, you know, because, you know, getting on a United flight, you know, all the way from Japan. Oh, wait. Yeah. <laughs> I think the plane will be ready to go. Uh, the way. <laughs> it, it, it is very fascinating, though, the idea that one person can take something that is already uh, such a big spectacle and now turn it into even more exposure for the NFL. Um, how much does it help the city that just that extra eyes on her will bring in, you know, more, uh, you know, of of a, a view of Las Vegas for, you know, potentially the next couple of years. As and much as we be nothing to the Swifties until she goes plays Allegiant Stadium again, and then they'll all come to Vegas. They aren't coming to Vegas probably until she's going to be there. You know, the bottom line is, you know, I'm waiting. I didn't. I I haven't seen that prop bet, but I'm a little disappointed. You know, are we going to have more Travis Kelsey receptions or Taylor Swift? sightings on cast yeah you know that should be a good number because you know kelsey's a guy who can catch seven eight passes you know if you take taylor swift is she going to be on camera nine or ten times during the game you know what i mean i'm uh, i'm not sure that's a big number it pushed joe i think they're both going to be on 13 times each and they could be you never know so it's uh you know Def definitely interesting. I, I guess it's added to the dynamic and, you know, I, I, I see the pros and cons and it's like, I see her and it's, a, it's kind of ridiculous to me. And then it's kind of ridiculous that they're making the big deal about it. You know, it's like, Oh, Kelsey caught a pass. It's like, okay, well, you know, how about what he catches a touchdown? You know, he catches the six yard pass. Oh my God. There, there's, there's uh you know, She's all right, but I, I, Brittany Mahomes is the most annoying one of the bunch to me. So, um, in general, though, with uh, you know the high profile of the Super Bowl, and obviously the city pays a lot of money for an event like this uh, to generate that exposure, they already have a reputation. How much goes into making a sell of the city? 
so that you know we're we're already in a boom for the the strip itself um and we're in a boom for people moving here could this increase both of those things by you know five ten fifteen percent I, I don't know about 15%. You know, the people in California got to really be pissed off. You know, really pissed. You know, because they're coming in droves as it is, you know. Yeah. And, you know, the bottom line is cost of living's better in Vegas than it is in California. You know, there's a lot of pros and cons. If you're an addicted gambler, it's probably not the fucking best place for you. But those are the type of people that are going to want to come out here. And, you know, how many people do you see on corners and, you know, getting, not to get political, but it's like, you know, even my neighborhood in the area, it's like, man, you, you see nothing but carts and homeless people, you know, all over the place. So with, with all the billions and billions of dollars coming into the community uh, or the state, they're making a shit ton of money, you know. What do you do? I, I don't know if I got the answer to it, but it's like, man, there, there's a lot of empty places that could be turned into shelters and, and, and all the other stuff. It's like, do we need more people? Because I guarantee you a lot of the people that are the homeless people that are around uh, came to Vegas and had a, had an apartment, had a house, you know, had a car, had, had stuff. And right. maybe coming here was their downfall. And, you know, they gambled their money away and, and now they got nothing. I don't know. You know, I'm not the one to, to be the judge of that. But there's shit tons of money. But us, the locals, in most cases, aren't really benefiting. Yeah, I guess if you work at a restaurant and it's packed in there, odds are you're going to make more money as a waiter but if you have 20 tables and now you got 40 tables, aren't you hiring more people to do it? So the money's going to similarly be the same. I don't know. So, you know, who's making all the money? Is it Clark County? Right. You know, is it the Raiders organization? You know, but it doesn't hurt to have that many people there. You know, I saw the thing on the news, the rideshare people complaining about the surge pricing and stuff. And it's like, yeah, but you guys have no problem when I got to go three miles from my house from the airport and now you're banging me for $40. Right. So, you know, you want to cry poverty all you want. Oh, there's rich people here. Well, we're not rich people and you have no, no care that, hey, there's a bunch of flights in there. And I remember waiting at McCarran and it was like fifty fifty five dollars. Yeah. And I literally live right off Russell. So I'm I'm a five minute ride and I gotta pay 50, 60 bucks. And they're also expecting a tip on the deal. Right. So, cool. you know, bottom line is I AEW's in town. I guarantee you there's a lot of not, you know, I, I saw ticket sales are pretty miserable. Well, why? Because they'll be here in May and it's a bigger deal. But if a if a guy from Phoenix or somebody from L.A. wants to come to Vegas, they're generally not going to drive all the way in go on right. Saturday night and drive back without getting a hotel room. Right. But if you want a hotel room, now you got to pay twelve hundred fucking dollars instead of a hundred. They showed Green Valley. It was 
one of the places, the M, whatever it was, the average price last week was $119. And this week it's $1,190. Yeah. <laughs> so, you know, you better, you better hope you're earning from the high rollers that are coming in and they will, you know, there's no doubt, you know, you two is going to sell out of every $480 ticket. Yeah. You know, my wife knew some people that they said they worked at the sphere as a bartender as you know, and they, they barely made a hundred bucks and you two was there and it was a packed house. So who's to say, you know, if there's this many people and you make a hundred bucks, Oh, well, there's this many people. You should make 500 bucks. No, because there was this many people on staff, and now there's this many people on staff. Yeah. You look in two ways and say, hey, well, more people are getting jobs. I don't know. So, you know, I've always heard that number. Oh, it helped helped the economy uh, $965 million. And it's like, Okay, well, how did that work? Oh, the casinos got most of it, you would think, because people had to stay in hotels. Right. So yeah. how much more of a profit is a $150 room compared to a $1,400 room? Yeah. How much of that profit is generated from that and the restaurants and, and things instead of the average Joe? So, so the, the question is, is, how much are you paying for uh, Danny Limelight's room? this weekend that's why we don't have a show because <laughs> he wouldn't be getting a room it's kind of like new year's why do you think danny limelight's not on the new year's show <laughs> because <laughs> e- even though i play and, and I, I i can get a comp room i ain't getting one on new year's eve i ain't getting one on super Bowl weekend i can tell you that right now <laughs> they're pulled out they they don't need to yeah now if somebody's a high roller coming into town, damn right they they're saving it for that person. But, um, but generally, it's it's going to be what it is. It's yeah. those major events when they come to town. You know, I heard the NFL was so happy. Oh, it's never going to happen. Oh, they'd love to have the Super Bowl in Vegas every year. Of course, because Vegas knows how to have a huge event. You right. know. For 50 years, Vegas was the pariah of the NFL. Right. It's like DraftKings and and everything they've dipped in and they've learned how to make money. And, and, you know, they saw the the, who thought hockey would make money. Yeah. And now it's like they're taking it, looking to take a shot at at baseball. Baseball is a little more difficult. Football, you're playing a home game only eight for the entire year. So that people from Denver, they're going to come see the Bronco games because go look at Legion Stadium. It's fucking pathetic. All the Raider fans, Raiders, Raiders. All they do is sell their tickets to the fucking opposing team and it becomes a home game for the other teams. So these diehard Raider fans, they looked at a way to make money and then they were all crying during the pandemic because they didn't want to go to the game or they didn't want to be vaccinated and they had to eat their tickets. Yeah. Hilarious. Yeah, and that goes to show that the formula that was used with the Golden Knights was the real, you know, winning formula because that was the assumption that the teams like Chicago, New York, L.A., those were the teams that people were going to go see. And then, you know, you'd have games against Nashville that would have no ticket sales, essentially. 
but being that the team was born here and it was, you know, no, no uh, alliances to anything else but this team, I think that's going to be the problem with the A's as well. It's going to be hard to you're you're going to have people at least who, uh, you know, you know the Mets fans, the Yankees fans, the Cubs fans, the White Sox fans. You're going to have those two, three game series fairly well attended, but then you you got to ask yourself how well are the Kansas City Royals or the Padres or the Reds going to actually? They're going to draw it? shit. The problem is, it's like in regular teams in Major League Baseball. You're going to get those Tuesday games that draw 8,000. The problem is when the Yankees come to town and you can sell 45,000 seats, you only got 30. Right. Your shitty nights are always going to be your shitty nights. And, you know, taking it back to wrestling, it's like, yeah, the FSW arena is great for the majority of shows. But if we're trying to run our anniversary show and no escape and we have to do it at the FSW arena, we're losing out on the income of 100 tickets because we're only going to be able to fit 260 people in the place. Well, the anniversary, you know, we had over 600 people. Sure, well, there's some comps, but whatever. But we had to face the audience. So I guarantee you the gate was way more. And on an anniversary show or any casino show, the budget is raised because you have to pay people better. You bring in bigger names. So if you do that and then you do the show at the arena, you have a cap on what you do. With GCW, we had a cap. You know, I think we sold $40 front rows, which is casino pricing, and $30 for the second row because we had to. And we were able to sell all those second row tickets and then say 25 or 20 for the for the general admission. But when there's 270 seats at the average price, let's just say 30, because you got the 40, 30, 20, we just say 30, you know, multiply the numbers. 30 times 30 is 9,000. So we're not even bringing in a $9,000 gate. We're bringing in an $8,000 gate. And now you're using Joey Janela and you're using Hammerstone and using Limelight and you're using Chris Bay and you're using, you know, Effie and, and Nick Gage, you know, as great as it looks, if we did it in a place, did we make money? Yes, we did. We, we made a profit at a school show charging the highest prices we could, but we also sold out the building. And if we could have been in a bigger place, there was a better chance. Like if we did it at the Silver Nugget, because we couldn't, they were only able to do one of the nights. And that's when, you know, obviously GCW got it. So right. when we were able to do it, the room wasn't available. So now we had to go to the smaller venue. Well, GCW had six, 700 people there. Are you telling me if tickets were available, we couldn't have got another hundred of those other people there, we only had 270 was packed house. So, you know, a hundred, 150 people times 30 is another $5,000. So if we made money and make a couple grand on a show, there was more money left on the table than we ended up making. So 
you make two grand when you could have made seven. And if you can't take advantage of those opportunities at the end of the year, those numbers are nowhere you where you want it to be. Right. So, you know, and and that's part of the reason why we need the bigger arena. And, you know, it looks, you know, we've reached an agreement. And again, not going to blurt it out because the paperwork hasn't been signed. Right. I had to make the call. Hey, bro, what's up? You know, we want to do this. Okay. I'm like, you know, we're looking at like, say, March 17th, 24th, and 31st. Up to the 17th and the 24th, we have, you know, three-day events. Okay, hold the 31st. Hey, Daniel, I'm like, you good for the 31st? Yeah, I can make it work. Hey, Hammerstone, you good for the 31st? Yeah, I'm going to be somewhere the 30th. Um, see if we can work it out, make them fly me back to Vegas. And, you know, and the locals were, were okay. But it's like, again, we have the mindset of the steel cage matches and the card that was already done gets right. up and you're hoping the same card. But now Kenny King, who was available for that show, may not be available for the 31st. But he was, you know, we had everything set that date because everybody was available. So now, again, there's so many more moving parts. Right to making sure because it's like, okay, uh, the women's title's vacant. The idea is now you, as I said last week, you know, part of the steel cage extravaganza, maybe it's the steel cage ladder match. And we know Brittany Brooks and we knew Rochelle for sure. Cause they scored the double pins. And the only other question is, is if Viva is going to also be in the match since there technically was no winner. She didn't lose the title. I, we can look at it that way. But the thing is, it might be a one-on-one match between Brittany and Rochelle just because Viva's not available. I may make the decision, like, I'm going to make it a three-way. Oh, Viva's booked already because we've changed the date. So, you know, that that's the, the process that we're moving forward. You know, wouldn't Maz wouldn't Maz argue that uh, Viva can't make it? Then technically she was the fourth person in the match, so it should still be a three way. Well, she wasn't the champion and she was pinned, but I'm pretty sure she will make a play for that. <laughs> um, when you uh, you know, when you have all these moving parts, is there ever a time that sticks out in your memory that? Um, there was something that was a, just kind of a, a big deal miss where you just kind of, you know, something got crossed uh, where someone who, you know, where this was a buildup and then for whatever reason, because of the, uh, you know, miscommunication or confusion or date changes or whatever happened, that that match didn't end up happening. Uh, yeah, it did. Uh, the night before a show, uh, Derek Nykirk uh, worked in WWE. Uh, he was all part of Heyman security when one of the Bashams got fired. So you never saw Derek's face on television. Uh, but Derek and Mike Knox, we knew Derek for a long time after he got released the first time from WWF. He was working with Les Thatcher back in HWA. Moved right. to Arizona. I've told the story. Uh, I said, hey, go go check out Navajo Warrior because he didn't know anybody. 
He went down there. He formed a good connection, became best friends with Mike Knox. Yeah. Then both got signed and went back. And, and then after the run in WWF happened the second time, uh, he was released. So that's when we started using, because we had the relationship with Nykirk and Gallo and uh, the extreme elitists, they were called. And it was Nykirk, Gallo, Mike Modest, who was our head trainer at the time. And the night before the show, I remember, might have been this guy, Isaac. I was sitting at a Chipotle by the one across the street from UNLV. Happened to be there. It was the Saturday Saturday night, probably a Sunday show, Friday night, a Saturday show, whatever it was back then. And he gave me a call, and he's like, bro, we're not going to be able to make it. And it's like, what the fuck? You're supposed to be the fucking new champion. Like, what do you mean? And crazy enough, those guys were main security for Toby Keith, and Toby was opening a... Toby Keith, I love this bar, I think it was called, in Detroit, Michigan. And they had to go. And we, I worked that night after the fact, which is the morning. I worked uh, five to one at Cheetahs back in the day. Mike Modest helped get a job there. So Mike was there and it was like, bro, fucking Nykirk ain't going to make it. What the fuck? I'm like, we got to make the move, you know. We got to put the belt on you. And he's like, dude, what do you mean? Blah, blah, blah. You know, I shouldn't be winning the belt. I'm like, yeah, but we have to. We, we can't just not have the match. We can't have to do the thing. And that's what ended up happening. And Mike Modest, that's how he became the champion. He wow. beat Kenny King uh, first time out because Nykirk couldn't make the show. Wow. And that was at the Silver Nugget. So it was probably uh, we did our first show in May of 2009 at the swap meet and Kenny held the belt a little over the year. So it was probably our first year anniversary show in May or June of 2010. And Mike Bondis became the champ. You know, that that's a great question. I don't think I've ever asked you before <clears throat> with Mike and, you know, just kind of his history and, and, you know, his notoriety. And obviously he was hesitant. He didn't really want to do that. But does a move like that then in the end work out to benefit you guys a little bit more? Uh, as much as, you know, Nykirk would have been a, a great champ. But circumstantial and, and ending up being what it was, was that a move that actually benefited you guys? It did. The, the issues Mike had with it was, you know, the name. We're a year in. We're called Future Stars of Wrestling. He's been in the business a very long time. Not that Nykirk hasn't, but Nykirk was probably seven, eight years younger. Didn't really have the notoriety to anybody who would be coming to our shows who knew who he was because he wasn't seen on the WWE television. So, but again, Kenny King was our first champ. The name was the name that the name Future Stars of Wrestling didn't really fit until all of a sudden you saw 
hey, who's, who's this guy's the Reno scum? Who's Brian Cage? Who's Sean Ricker? These guys all came along in 2010, but obviously they were no, not ready to win the title. And right. it was just the, the confusion of, hey, this is the name. You know, why is a 38-year-old guy winning the championship? You know, kind of like when people saw Matt Hardy as the champion, you know, the Marky Marks who don't follow FSW or the Indies. Oh, yeah, Future Stars of Wrestling. Oh, Matt Hardy's the champ. Ha, ha, ha. It's like, yeah, hilarious. It's like, bro, you know, I, it, 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 it's all the negativeness because social media was becoming prevalent. The first year, it was MySpace, I remember, in 2009. So yeah. I think Facebook, by the time it was 2010 and we were running more shows, I'm pretty certain that Facebook was where we went True. to put everything out, okay? And hasn't really changed since day one. It's, it's gotten progressively worse. Yeah. But Mike being there, we had uh, Franco D'Angelo who would come in from Texas, and he got into a horrific accident where it was amazing that he lived. And I saw the pictures, and, and, and he tried to come back a couple times, and, and – it was just a struggle and you know, he had a lot of health issues and then it was like, we had Alcatraz and again, there was another guy who's, who was a SoCal legend, you know, and Alcatraz seen his better days, but he was still, you know, a great heel. Well, let's face it. Let's face it. Alcatraz seen his better days probably in about 1989. He's uh... yeah. But you know he still he still went. Oh yeah. And he he was good, you know. And when, one of the biggest moments in our history was when Matt Hardy beat Alcatraz for the championship, you know. And it was a few years later where you know Alcatraz decided that it was time to go, and he left his boots after a match with Hammerstone, and he basically gave the the stamp of approval because we all felt that this young kid. Alexander Hammerstone was going to have a bright future in the business. And, you know, to this day, you know, I, I see Alcatraz making the post and congratulating Hammerstone. And I'm pretty sure he's happy that there was a guy who could really, you know, take things to another level. And, but it took us five, six years to where the name Future Stars of Wrestling kind of fit. Right. It was just the name of a company at one point. Right. Early days, because we didn't know. I'm just looking for guys. I'm right. looking to scour the market. Oh, shit. Holy crap. These guys, the young bucks, these are fucking cool. Like, hey, emails. All right. Probably through MySpace. Yeah. You know? and, and, and some of the first guys we used, Ryan Taylor, you know, we were supposed to use and he canceled, you know, two weeks before the show. But I scoured the Southern California market, Brandon Gatson, you know, a guy that I, I liked what I saw of. And then we had the connections with Arizona. So then all of a sudden they had a new student, Dom Vitale, you know, and then uh, all of a sudden, Hey, there's this Hammerstone guy and the Graves guy. So there was, there was the pipelines that really helped FSW or future stars of wrestling become somewhat notable 
because it was also smart because now there was people in California who knew who we were. Right. And the Reno scum were up in Reno, but they made themselves famous in NorCal. North Cal, yeah. So we were using Chic, Dark Chic now, you know, Chupacabra, the Commandos. No. And most are still active. Dark Chic is a major part of the GCW shows. Yeah. And so we had a North Cal pipeline, which started with the modest thing, because that's where he came from, APW out there. Right. We had the Arizona pipeline, because Navajo Warrior, who I bet, you know, I might say hello here and there, but initially he was the guy who helped me a lot, because sure. I had questions. I was running stuff. He was running things and known as the guy running stuff in Phoenix, and the very first Vegas Extreme show is that's when we used Navajo. And that was when Mike Knox came up and Nykirk was there and Navajo was there and Gallo was there. And that was the core from there. And then there was the NorCal crew with Bison Smith, the guy Bart Blackson. They came from Pro Wrestling Iron when we only knew of Modest. I didn't never knew him, never met him, but it was his school through Jack Slammy because they worked together at APW. And then I kind of created the pipeline of, hey, the Young Bucks, and they might have recommended the Cutler Brothers because that was their crew. And hey, doing it as a swap meet in uh, Northtown, you know, it's probably good to get some luchadors. And my bright mind was, hey, there's these guys working for 50, 75 bucks. They got name value in LA. Well, that didn't help the Mexicans in in, in Vegas. (laughs) Like, who the fuck are these guys? And it was Extreme Loco. And we were using Little Cholo, who no-showed that very first show. (laughs) And Cyanide and Vintage Dragon, who went on to become, you know, three-time tag team champions. So using some of the the Mexican Lucha style, we did get to use them. Like Extreme Loco, we used a few times. And he was a guy who came out of Jesse Hernandez's school in San Bernardino. But at that time, we were looking for guys under masks. Yep. And and the other uh, the other one who never showed and canceled was now known as Ricardo Rodriguez. Uh, it was a guy named Chimera under a mask in San Diego, which yep. so crazy. And they bailed on me because the guys who ran shows in San Diego who wanted to be booked on my show, there wasn't room because we had the Young Bucks versus the Cutlers because they were recommended the Cutlers. So I had no room for this team called Anchors Away. Well, one of their guys ran shows in San Diego and was like, fuck it. We're going to run the same day. So oh, SoCal Crazy and Chimera, who's Ricardo Rodriguez, said, oh, hey, bro, thanks a lot. But, you know, our home fed's running. And it was like, and that's when I learned the home fed rule. When, hey, the home fed decides to make uh, to run a show. You never had a show. We're not going to we're not going to fucking make it. Sorry. We don't know who you are. And I learned. And then it became prevalent with Marquez when he was running Hollywood. Yeah. And we were using Willie Mack and Sean Ricker and Brian Cage and numerous others that would come through the SoCal pipeline where it'd be like a casino show. And then he decides he was going to run the same day. And yeah. we lost out a few times on, on the Rickers and the or the LA Knights and the Willie Macks and and Brian Cage and a few others. So yeah. learn through, you know, it, it was trial by fire. 
You know, it was, hey, I did a wrestling radio show. Buffalo Jim had a wrestling show. I'm like, oh, man, this was terrible. I can do better than this and put my money where my mouth was. And here we are, almost 15 years later, still still grinding. And and look, you literally put Buffalo Jim out of business, literally. Yeah, yeah, he was yeah, he was already out of business. <laughs> um but he did get a Netflix special, so yeah. Humusly, yeah. So but still, he got one. Um you know, you're talking about the future stars, uh the uh, future shock just ran. Uh, you were pretty impressed by the uh, the turnout that the uh, the guys packed were... house. Yeah, Got it. That's a, it was a it was a legit packed house, you know. Yeah. And again, we let the guys sell the tickets for like ten bucks, but it's such a different vibe. It's fucking insane. It's like you know, I would say future stars are wrestling. Being that we're future stars are wrestling, we have a a higher age demographic. I would guess you would say. Let's say a GCW, okay? So, in a lot of cases, our fans love the events, but they're not the hooter and hollerers of, of the thing. Right. So, now we got Mariachi Montagna, who sell about 45 front row tickets. And then you got Raw Reese, and you got Rainey, and you got Trademark, and you got Fox, and you got RBJ, who I don't think he's been selling that many tickets of late. But they, they all add up, you know? Right. And and who's selling six here and four here and three there or whatever. And it's like, obviously, it's not set up for 270 people. But it's a school show that probably has 150 strong there. But that 150 strong, I always think of when I was talking to uh, Sean Davari about when they went to India. And they did the Raqqa, whatever it was called, as Impact went over there. Right. And he said that these fans don't really know wrestling. So they're popping, you know, for the, the headlock takedown. Like, you don't need to chair shot people. And you don't need to do all these crazy spots. Because right. they're already enthralled by the little things that they see. And that's what makes Future Shock special because these go out, guys go out there and it's their friends, it's their cousins, it's whatever that they're probably, oh shit, a Hurricane Rana. They don't know what it's called. They don't even know what the fuck it is. They're like, holy shit. Right. Telling me that guy can do that, you know, other than Rainey almost cracking his dome on the concrete. And Kenny was at the school yesterday and we were going over the match. Rainey wasn't there, but it was like, before he started, he let people know, like, hey, maybe you should try and figure out how to do dives and catch people before you decide to go over the top rope and land. And he basically tucked his head, and I guess he hit the back of his head. Sure. But I have a commentary booth, and I'm like, as I'm watching, I'm like, oh, shit, this motherfucker's going to land straight on his fucking skull. And thankfully, he tucked a little bit, so right. there wasn't as much damage, but... You know, from from beginning to end, the crowd, the energy level was there. And it was, in a lot of cases, you'll see, especially like on High Octane, and the younger guys will have a sh be on the mound on the show and work the first match or the second match. And they might have eight or ten people there for them. Their match is over. 
and you see them climb down the bleachers and they fucking leap. Yep. And at Future Shock, it was like 95, 90% of the people stayed because, again, Mariachi Montagna, obviously, I have to put them in the main event. They're selling shit tons of tickets. Right. You know, so when they win, the crowd goes crazy. You know, there was numerous spots where it was like, wow, the crowd is just so excited. Sure. Because they've never seen a lot of this. And I had to be the ring announcer. So it's like, you know, I'm going to be myself. So I'm going to be inquisitive. Hey, you know, I hope everybody's having a great time. You know, how many of you have never come to a wrestling show before? And it's a strong 30%. And why is it 30% and not 80%? Because a lot of those guys had two, three, four matches that, that they've come to them. If right. I said you've come to less than five wrestling shows, it would probably have been 95% of the crowd. Right. So I've always known, and most people do, that when you run in that smaller venue, the energy level's there. So if, even if you're not a big fan, there's a lot of cool stuff, and the, and the fans that are excited about it get everybody else excited about it. Right. And they're cheering for who they like, and they're booing for who they don't like. And, you know, Ricky Tenacious wrestled Fox, and Warren ended up being the referee, and Warren got his comeuppance a little bit on Ricky at the end because Ricky was kind of bullying Warren. And Warren, he hasn't wrestled ref that many matches for us. He's he's done a handful, but he was one of the most over individuals on that show. Yeah. Because the the fans immediately found a distaste for Ricky Tenacious, which is the norm, you know, probably everywhere he goes. <laughs> When, when including including when he's uh, teaching his uh, classes when he substitutes, oh, he's he is the toughest kids class uh, teacher that we have. Like he don't play, yeah. Like pay the fuck attention. Yeah. You know it, it. It's like sometimes it's like, hey Ricky, remember this is supposed to be fun. <laughs> don't want to run any people out. But being because he's a kid who started yep. rolling around in the ring at eight, nine years old, you yeah. know, he knows how serious it is. Yeah. Oh, you know, Ricky's Rick, Ricky's good in doses <laughs> comes to that. Let's just say, um, you know, you had this uh, future shock. It was fairly, uh, uh, you know, it was a very good card. Very just showing a lot of uh again a lot of promise where the talent is going and then uh now you have high octane coming up and speaking of uh young talent getting a chance i mean duke is getting a chance to wrestle shogun which i find very intriguing yeah duke has been dominant since uh i decided to bring him in full time you know yeah a guy that you kind of looked at it afar. He wrestled a couple of the other places, knew some people, so he didn't train at FSW. And I saw, I truthfully saw Tyshawn Prince in Duke. I saw a big guy underutilized, maybe 
not getting the best training sure. I, is how I could say it. You know, the issue with Tyshawn was he wasn't not trained, but I felt that Duke and Tyshawn were trained the same, that they were all trained in a class that were trained all exactly the same way. So it didn't matter if you're five foot six, 150 pounds, or you're six foot six, 350 pounds, you're basically trained the exact same way. Well, bigger guys and smaller guys need to be trained a little bit differently. Got a key on things. So while he could wrestle, I don't think he wrestled for his size. Sure. And then being in there with a Kenny King and a Sin Bodhi, they know regardless of anything you want to believe in this world, size is king. Yep. It's easier. You have to work harder. Chris Bay had to, not saying Karrion Cross didn't do the work, but Karrion Cross is already noticeable. Right. You look at the guy, 6'4", 260, athletic, could talk. Oh, this, this is a big, bad motherfucker. Chris Bay, he's got to go the other way. Because, again, early on, Chris Bay ain't cutting promos. He ain't good on the mic. But he's, he's got something about him that the crowd likes, and he builds upon that. Right. And, and But he's got to out-wrestle you. He's got to out-finesse you. He's got to do things that make him stand out because there's a lot of guys that are 5'6", 5'8", 5'9", 150, 175 that are coming through the pike. When you got a guy 6'6", 350 – that's a little rarer. Right. So you always sit back as a person and think, oh, that motherfucker can murder this dude. Oh, that guy can whoop his ass. Well, Chris Bay, nobody's saying, oh, man, yeah, he can, he can whip. He'll, he'll whoop that Duke Lawrence's ass because he's 150 pounds less. Right. So once I used Duke in the rumble because I felt – he would work in there and he did, wanted another big body. That's that's 100% the reason. Sure. And go back in time and, you know, behind the curtain, initially I wanted uh, Duke and Koa to be the MK Army, part of the MK Army. I wanted that to be new additions because Duke had been around a little bit. Right. And the, the matter was he wasn't coming around a lot. And we'd have a show, and it's like, oh, something came up. I can't make it. And then we put somebody else in there, AJ Mana, who didn't work out. And it was more than a year later where it was like, I still haven't really seen Duke at the thing, but I just needed a big body. So he was working some shows in Cali, working some stuff, not really seeing what he was doing. But it was a battle royal, so, you know, and a rumble, so not a big deal. And I'm like, oh, he looks pretty good. He walks through the curtain. It's like, man, that's a bad motherfucker. So he worked with Koa. They worked with Shogun. So I'm like, yeah, you know, this might work. And then we did some stuff. And then all of a sudden now I, I he decided to, to come back. He's training more full time here. And I think that's giving him the confidence because we're putting him in good positions and a chance to succeed. And, you know, that's a big match, man. You know, I see people putting it over. You know, you got two, you got two big, this is super heavyweight town. You know, for a while, that didn't always happen in FSW. You know, Chris Bay was our champion. Ice Williams was our champion. Sure. You know, yeah, maybe with Graves and maybe with Hammerstone, 
you know, you're seeing those super heavyweights. And, you know, the, that's a sight to see. You know, yeah. he said, you know, the meaty men, the uh, slapping meat. And, you know, you got 600 pounds in the ring. You know, two guys. So, you know, Duke's earned that opportunity. But Duke is still very young. So now Duke gets to see what – but Duke has worked with Shogun in the past now. And right. Duke worked, you know, with with other guys who are at higher levels. Because bottom line is shows are great, promotion's great, but we're trying to make younger guys – and excel them and get them to another level. And by, you know, bringing in the guys that we bring in, it gives a lot of opportunities, as we said, for people. You know, Bodie gets to work at Danny Limelight very early in his career. You know, how how lucky is Bodie, <coughs> you know, 16 years old? Worked Danny Limelight. He's worked Gregory Sharp. You know, he's worked with Sin Bodie, worked with Remy, you know, Gets on GCW, you know, got his ass whooped by Mance Warner uh, the other day in Phoenix and got to be in a six man with, you know, Starboy Charlie. And it's like, you know, he's becoming their Nick Wayne, the young kid, the young prodigy. And, you know, you're going to see his growth there. And, you know, he's already building a following. And the only reason it is is because FSW let a 14-year-old kid go into adult classes. He shined. He got put on some shows. And then other people started using him. And as I tried to, you know, pick and choose an event for him to work on and a tag match and a six-man to protect him, no need to anymore. Let him go out there and do his thing. So, you know, that's what Future Stars of Wrestling is about you know, bringing in people that are going to help other people, but they're still young. You know, Danny Limelight's got a lot of experience, but ain't like he's 35 years old. So he's, he's not in his forties. He is not. But you talk about a poise, you know what I'm saying? Like, you know, that's, that's the whole thing. It's like, um, you know, a number of those, those guys, which Bodie will soon be within the next few years is that these guys, um, they have that poise of acting as professionals um, to the point where you do forget that you're talking to someone who's 28 or 32, you know, that these guys are still in that ballpark of 25 to, to 32. And it's crazy. Yeah. Well, or Bodie, he goes into training and he's messing around with Chris Bay and Kenny King and Sin Bodie. You know, that's knowledge a lot of others will not get at the wrestling schools that they are in. Did you just you just admitted that Sin Bodhi is a knowledgeable man? He is. All right. You know, me and Sin, we've had our ups and downs, but it was never because we I felt that it had anything to do with the wrestling portion. Right. It had to do with the Kazarni you know lifestyle <laughs> I, I guess you could say the kazarni lifestyle but uh, you know 
A, he's a wrestler, and B, he's a carny guy. Yeah. And, you know, there's a whole difference between Nick and Sin, you know. But, again, Sin has been in this business and around the world for many years. And he'll even tell you, you know, he's grown up. He's changed. You know, when we first started getting together over the freak show things and, and, and things, we did not get along very well. You know, I felt like, you know, he's overstepping and trying to, you know, like, like think he's going to one up me and, and get away with stuff. Sure. And I'm not that way. And the, in all honesty, we, we kind of cut ties. He moved to California. Then he became a tattoo artist and he had a steady income. And then the Sin Bodhi character, because Kazarni, it was hard because he was looking for, hey, I worked in WWE. We're going to make X amount of dollars. And it was like, yeah, you weren't on that much. So it was a struggle to get those bookings. Right. He caught the niche as Sin Bodhi and now is on the road way more than he's ever been. So, you know, it, it's it's always a struggle when you're struggling financially and you're trying to, you know, take care of things. He, he had a wife at the time, uh, Stacy, the cat Carter, you know, and sometimes you might have to like finagle ways to like, Hey, make sure she's living to the lifestyle that you want your wife to live to. So you're, you're trying to figure out ways and it didn't work out. But then when he stepped back, and became a tattoo artist, moved back to Vegas, you know, had to sit down after it was like, yeah, oh, sin. I'm like, I don't give a fuck. Because I didn't. And then we talked and it was like, hey, and now it's been running. I couldn't even tell you. I know it's years. Yeah. You know, and to me, you know, he's he's a highly respected part of FSW these days. Yeah. Absolutely. And, 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 you know, maybe I changed, but I know he did. And he changed for the better. And, you know, and, and he's helped us out. And, and having a guy who could say, oh, yeah, you know, WWE just sent me to NXT to work with the young talent. Right. Hey, that's notch when you're talking about a, a trainer. Right. Absolutely. There's, you there's... know, and it rubs off. And, right. And the fact of the matter is younger guys will have more respect for somebody they know. Because one thing about the younger kids, they like to go on YouTube. They like to look up things and see stuff from the past. Like, you have to be a fucking idiot if you're a student and you walk in and you don't know who Kenny King is. You know what I'm saying? Guy's been doing it for over 20 years. Same thing when Disco was here. Or TJP, you know, D'Lo Brown. Everybody knows who that motherfucker is. Right. So these are the people that are that are coming through FSW to offer knowledge. Oh, my God. Wait, did you just... No, you just said Disco offers knowledge. Disco's we... awesome. <laughs> you ask a lot of the old-timer guys that have been around for a long time, the Clutchy Sugar Browns, all the people when Disco was here, man, they love Disco. D- disco focused on certain things yep. and, and striking and selling like that's all he gave a fuck about the other trainers could train other shit 
Yep. Learn how to fucking punch. Learn how to fucking sell for more than a second instead of popping up. People hate him on commentary because he exposed people, which again may not have been the best thing, but I understand. It's like, you know, you go in there and I remember one match and it was just like, boom, 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 boom. boom. Like nobody's selling nothing. It's like, it's just watching a video game. Right. You play in a video game of wrestling that there's no sell whatsoever. It's like, stay down for a second, you know, something. And, and disco was not the type. Oh, back in my day, like he told me, he's like, oh, I love the young bucks, you know, back in the day, and he he liked the newer style, but right. he just felt that you know wrestling is always going to evolve. There's people do extraordinary things these days that they didn't, but you also have to keep the fans enthralled. And in all honesty, take a look at AEW. There, there's been a pretty big backlash, you know, the last year of AEW that a lot of people are just like, oh, you know, it's the same shit. Where it might be athletically looking phenomenal, but as a wrestling fan, most people want good storylines. A, a great match is, is, is the bonus. Right. And, yeah. you know, people can say what they want. WWE, AEW, you know, TV wrestling just generally isn't going to be five-star matches because you're, you're limited on time. You got five minutes. You got the next segment. You got going on. So it, it's rare that you get this occasion to get a 22-minute match. Yeah, you might get one, but you know the story needs to progress in 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 all categories for for people to care. And you know, look now, The Rock's inserted himself, Cody Rhodes. Oh my God, you know, it's like oh they they, they can't stand The Rock, and it was like well the twenty thousand people when he came out on SmackDown weren't hating the fucking Rock, they were loving The Rock. And not only oh. that, but, but, you know, that's the other thing, too, is that I think everyone is very um, short-sighted, uh, you know, not seeing the bigger picture. And that is uh, Cody Rhodes has not said that he's, you know, that he's using the Royal Rumble win to go against Seth. No, and, and again, it's a storyline that they're playing into, and it's these the the majority of these fans. It was the same thing with the Daniel Bryan thing, and and, and they kicked into that. But the thing is, we're telling a story, yep. and, and we're not telling the story to make you like it immediately. Do, do you remember how LA Knight was getting buried? <laughs> Fuck this company; they're burying LA Knight. Yep. Then all of a sudden he started getting the push. And it's like, oh, LA Knight's awesome. Everybody forgot about that he wasn't being pushed to the moon when he should have been. Everybody always thinks, hey, this is the guy who's on fire. Well, now they're going to milk it. They're going to make you keep watching and keep paying. Instead of paying it off on day two 
they're paying it off on day 17. Right. Because that means now they got you from day two through day 16 because, oh, uh, guess what? You're a WWE fan. If, if LA Knight loses seven matches in a row, you're still watching the next SmackDown. You're still watching the next Raw. You're still buying the merchandise. And, yeah, we're going to show WWE, and we're going to buy out LA Knight's merchandise. Oh, no, don't do that. WWE is going to go crazy if you buy out all LA Knight's merchandise because that means they're going to have to push the guy and make millions of dollars. They would hate to do that. <laughs> you know, and that's, but but that's that's funny you even said that because I, I always thought one of the funniest things about that whole concept is that when everyone gets so pissed off that a wrestler is let go or leaves the company or whatever – and you go on the website, and they're still selling merchandise that they have left over from that person. And it's like, the, it's a business, people. It's not fucking. Uh, you know, I'm in the business, and I would I would have never believed that Cody Rhodes would go back to WWE from everything you read and saw. But also growing up, I always remember hearing the stories, and Sergeant Slaughter will never be back in yeah. WWE. Him and Vince had this big falling out. But just like other numerous people, they all came back. Yep. Because Vince thought they could make money. And that's what Vince cared about. Making money and finding uh, new divas on the uh, diva search. You know? but Or the office search. Or the office search. Oh, you know, hey, who, want, who wants a promotion this week? <laughs> Uh, okay, I'll take it. Oh, I can't believe he did that. <laughs> you know, that's a, that's a whole nother story. Yeah. Now, but the thing is, it's like these stories are going to play out to the way they want them to play out. Yeah, you guys got exactly what you wanted. Kofi Kingston wins the heavyweight title. And then he gets beat by Brock Lesnar in like fucking 20 seconds. There you go. Because I'm not going to say WWE ain't going to throw the screws to the fans. But you know what's going to happen? Nothing. Nobody's stopping the watch. But we got you to get that Kofi mania for a while. Yeah. You know, it, here's a guy that if we didn't do what we did with him and we pushed him naturally, it wouldn't have been a big deal. Yeah. But it seems like when you're taking things away, it becomes a bigger deal. Look at Sami Zayn, hottest thing around. Now he comes out and people are like, oh, yeah, whatever. Yeah. Yeah. And I'm afraid that that's going to happen to LA Knight because it doesn't look like they're putting the belt on him. Like, I personally think he should have gotten like a U.S. title or at least intercontinental, you know, one of the secondary titles. It's like, they would have popped big for him winning a title. So, right. you know, he ain't beating Reigns. So, maybe, hey, he's well-loved. Let him go around again with a Logan Paul and beat Logan Paul. That'll be big pop. You know, I'm not sure the Gunther thing, because he's getting a lot of respect and, you know, whatever. He needs to beat a full-blown heel, which is a Logan Paul. And if LA Knight wins that, he's going to have a longer term of resurgence right. than being popped into this Reigns thing and not winning anyway. 
Well, and I, but, and wouldn't you agree at some point, um, first off the whole Roman Reigns thing is, is such a different animal that people are not really used to. So they fucking hate it. But at the same time, to me, it makes more sense. Like I'd rather see, I'd rather see Rickard go heel at some point, do that build, get the belt or, you know, be at that. But get what belt? Well, what you said, like a Logan Paul, like that, that, Intercontinental that you he, he needs to get a belt as a baby face, no doubt. Right, get the belt as a baby. You're gonna face. turn him heel to turn him back, baby face. That so what I'm saying is get him get him that baby face push and that run. Evolve him back to heel then and well, yeah, and you could do that way. And in a long it's a long play because I there's money between Cody and Rickard. Top baby face Cody versus Eventually, top heel Ricker because those two going at it with the mic and they have their ring skills. That's a that's a great program for a SummerSlam or for a you know. Yeah, but but you know, and again, I love LA Knight, but Seth Rollins is ahead of him. Where did where where's he laying at this point? Drew, Mc, well, Drew McIntyre is do. I want to see Drew McIntyre as a heel be the champ. Be yeah. honest with you. Best best work of his career awesome. right now. Been fantastic, you know, for a guy who didn't want to do it. Yeah, but that's that's the whole thing too, which I don't think that many people really, you know, everyone kind of gets mad, but you got to also remember that, and and you know this, when you're booking the top, when you have all this talent, you have a logjam, and you just it just comes down to playing those pieces and you only have 12 months in a year minus plus or minus injuries and comebacks. Well, it's like Drew McIntyre's the top guy. Sami Zayn, I don't think he's the top guy anymore. He McIntyre's already beaten Sami Zayn. Like where, who is Drew McIntyre going to wrestle at WrestleMania? Okay. Sami Zayn again? Like they've done that. It's like seeing, like like Drew should have, you know, if he was going to win the belt, winning it in Scotland with uh, against Reigns was the time. Okay, we're well now we're turned him heel. Like, where where is he going? You know, it's like if Realist. Rollins is set and Reigns is set. Like, yeah, there's a ready-made feud between Punk and McIntyre, sure, but there's a ready-made feud with. Cody and Punk, and there's already made feud with Reigns and, and Punk. So we've yeah. already seen Reigns and McIntyre numerous times. We've right. already seen Cody and Reigns. I'll be honest with you. I'm not the hugest Cody fan. Sure. I see the popularity and I see it, and it's just like, well, he's trying to finish his story. But finishing this story was the storyline WWE and Cody created. Right. And now everybody's like, oh, he has to finish his story. Well, no. If he finishes his story, now we got to come up with a new story. Right. So how about we hold off him finishing that story to here? You know? And it's no different with us when, hey, it's like, who's who's the guy ready? And who who's going to who's gonna take the belt eventually off Hammer? And... 
even in our inner circle. Oh, can't believe Vice didn't win on that one. Well, he won three months later. So the buildup was there. And he, right. he earned another shot, and he got it in the cage, and he beat Hammers. Right. Just because you think it should happen today doesn't mean that's best for business. Didn't think he was ready. I needed to see what he was going to do in a big game match with Hammerstone with the title on the line and right. see if he, thankfully he wasn't going to shit the bed. You know, a lot of, th- you know, things are weird. Yeah, yeah, it's easy. You, you coast in, you're doing your matches. But now when you're expected to be the main event and you're expected to carry the company, there's a different pressure on you because yeah. you believe you're the best because you haven't gotten the chance to prove you're the best. Now, here you go, bro. Here's your opportunity to be the best. Oh, shit. You know, I got to impress my boys. I got to press the promoter. I got to press impress other people because I'm trying to get signed. And I want people to see how good I am. And now I'm in a match with the MLW heavyweight champion. I'm in a match with the guy who's considered one of the, the top young stars in this business today. I got to go in there. And I'm 170 pounds wrestling this monster, and I got to make it look like I am the real deal. So there's so much other pressures other than wrestling an FSW match. It's your brain of what you've been doing for three years in this business, getting the opportunity. Hey, I, I get it. I'm not winning tonight. But I need to prove to Joe that I am capable of winning. All right need hammerstone to go tell joe you know what i think he's got it because joe's going to rely on a hammerstone a chris bay and guys d-lo any whatever that say you know what liking what i see guy could be this guy could be the guy yeah so you know pressure is real doesn't matter if you're being paid. Even if you're not being paid, the pressure's still real because you're trying to climb the ranks. It's yeah. a camaraderie. It's it's a fraternity. It's a competitive situation. Sure. You yeah. know, I'm the FSW heavyweight champion. Oh shit, really? Wow, that that's pretty impressive, man. They had they had Hammerstone and Cross and LA Knight and Brian Cage and Chris Bay and Hammerstone. Shit. You're in a good line of fucking company. Matt Hardy, Mike Modest. Jody. Jody. You know. But that's the thing. When your name shows up there. Yeah. Look at that. He's all you want. But he makes sure he puts over every anniversary, whether he defended the title or how he won it. I was an FSW heavyweight champion. That's a fucking marquee moment in his career. And that and that's how it should be. Because that does speak a lot, and that's and that's what, what makes and that's why the belt's important. Zoe Stark being the women's champion, yeah, and hope. Of course, you know, there's always times there was people uh, like I'm trying to hold them back. It's like, why would I try to hold anybody back? You know, right. sometimes there's miscommunication. Sometimes there's things that, you know, hey, you know what? You're deciding you don't want to work here. You feel that you weren't treated properly. Hey, I'm sorry. You know, it is what it is. We've had that issue on a couple of occasions. Sure. It's like, what what seems more correct? That I want you to be signed because now 
FSW uses that as, see, we trained this person. And they go, that's the selling point. Hey, did you know we trained Solo Sokoa and yeah. Cameron Cross and Chris Bay and Jay Vidal and Zoe Stark? Did you know that? We got three people in WWE that are at the top, you know, that yeah. main main people. Yeah. Girl comes in. Hey, we trained Zoe Stark. You big fan WWE? Yeah, we trained Zoe Stark. Oh, really? You know. Not to and not to mention the kids. Right? Yeah. Hey, Bodie started at eight, nine years old. He's wrestling in GCW. He's wrestling in Arizona, California. He got to start with us. We're, we're, we trained him. You could be that person, too. And look at some of those other. I mean, look at look at Laz, man. I mean, Laz is like a whole different animal from where he was, you know, just years ago when he was a kid. It's it's ridiculous how you watch that. Look at Damian Drake. You know, you know he's we got Griff a little after the fact of uh, right. you know he he got some same thing with Jay Vidal. They got their seasoning with Gangrel and San, you know. But they they broke out here. Yeah. Nick Xander was a guy who sat in the stands. Yeah, to do this, and yeah. he's getting props everywhere he goes. Yeah, got to have something to do with it. Again, I don't take all the credit, but Nick Xander got to be inside the ring and train with the Jay Vidal's and the Chris Bays and Damian Drakes and and all the top guys that FSW has produced. And he'll come in on a Wednesday class, and Kenny King's there, and. And and get and gather knowledge. Hey, Delo showed up. Hey, TJP showed up. Hey, we have a seminar with a Mike Bailey, and he's going to show you some things. So I said yesterday, that was the whole class. Kenny King. I left after the the first part, but Kenny sat everybody in the office, and that was the whole class was going through match by match by yep. match. Yep. And yeah. you know, taking yeah. part. And, and, and quite frankly, too, you know, that's another thing that if you're under the age of, you know, 30, you don't realize that when myself and Kenny and Sin and, uh, you know, everyone who's of a certain age, there wasn't sitting around and being able to watch tape like that. Because it wasn't accessible. Yeah. I, I saw Everfly make a post. It's like, man, you kids got it great. And Everfly ain't 50, but he was like, you know, it was it was hard to get footage of your stuff. It was like, you know, you have to get it. And he said it. You have to take a trip to Vegas and work at FSW to get your footage. Yeah. Those places were far and few in between. And, and that's what sometimes irritates the fuck out of me. Is a lot because the local guys, it's second nature, like it's normal for them. Like they think yep. they should be on every show. They think, like, oh, why isn't the show up, dude? It was last night. Like, <laughs> calm the fuck down, or go pay seven dollars a month and and grab stuff by <laughs> TV. Yeah, you, you know what I mean. It's like we give you all that shit. Don't yeah. fuck bust balls. When the thing takes longer than a day, it, it, it's a process. Yeah. You know, sometimes you have to upload shit. Sometimes there's issues. 
things take hours. Yeah. You know, and it's like, man, yeah. generally, because of the way the internet is now, Everything. you can match. And then go in the back on your computer and go watch it back on Fight TV within yep. five seconds. Yep. I mean, it, you can literally have your friend out there with the camera on their phone film. And your some medic. do that, yeah. And yeah. some do it. Like, like you know, when we're doing something like uh, the Dollar Loan Center, we're not filming it for anything, but they're filming it for their stuff, and somebody's filming it for somebody else. Nice. And it's like, hey, RBJ is going to have it filmed because he's a young kid. He's in a match that has. You know, Damian Drake and, and, and Matt Vandergriff in it and yeah. Bo. So he's the low man on the totem pole. So he wants to see how he hangs with these guys who've been doing it, not only in Vegas, but all over the West Coast and, yep. from, you know, all over the United States. Yep. And that's only going to make you look better, you know, when you have that footage after you watch it and you go, hey, you know, these, the, these were the primary moments. Boom. That goes into wow. my file. These are the moments I need to work on in my head. That goes into my head's file. You know, it, it, it it's so accessible now. There's so much that you can do to grow not only your brand with your social media, but your own uh, just processing, watching, learning, watching other matches. You know, it's, you, you can learn from your mistakes and find out what your mistakes are immediately. So last week, not this past Wednesday, the Wednesday before, I walk in uh, and they're all waiting to get in because I hadn't gotten Kenny's key yet. So I had to open up. And there's the mariachis. They're having their footage on the phone and they're having Kenny watch that match from New Year's Eve that he hadn't seen and pick it apart for them because kenny doesn't even have to be a class to do it you could send kenny the match and kenny will look at it and then tell you what he thought or sin or bay or remy or cody or whoever the fuck yep and you know that's another little perk there's so many perks that these guys don't realize are perks no they come in and train and I was, you know, I was joking, but I was, I was still kind of irritated. And it was like, so we have big show Saturday, big crowd. Everybody performed pretty well. I walk in Monday, not one student who wrestled on the show was at training on Monday. Not one. Mind boggling to me. Like did every single one of you have to work. Hard to believe because Monday is usually the big beginner class day. Right. And you see, you know, 12 to 15. Well, we probably saw about six. Hmm. And, and again, not going to complain to the mariachis who weren't there. And Phil Godfrey and Mastermind and Trademark and Rainey and... All these guys, and I'm not counting, even though he wasn't there, Ricky Tenacious, I'm not talking about anybody who kind of wrestles on the main roster. You right. know, you know, I don't expect that Damian Drake has to be a trainee. You know what I mean? 
but it, it's the guys that are paying pretty much full-time dues to be there. Right. You know, and really not one. Like, yeah. wow, that that's like a weird coincidence that literally so eight matches, 16 guys, we got a tag, we got a multi-man. There's maybe 20 on the show. Obviously, J-Rod and Jake Painter came from another state. The rest, so we're down to 18. You could say the Ricky, Brandon G's have been around for a while, you know. So 16 people, maybe, that generally train regularly. And again, I'm I'm not going to tell you they're here five days a week, but they're here two, some three, some four. But the day after the show, like, nobody. And yesterday... Uh, Kenny is doing a critique of the show and going through it. And again, mariachis were there. The Phil Godfrey was there. Uh, some others, you know, Fox and AJ were there. But, you know, I didn't see Adrian Rain. I didn't see RBJ. I didn't see all these people like, hey, Kenny's going to be there. So... Now, all of a sudden, Monday and Tuesday, you're unable to be here. And right. I, I question that. It's like, man, we had a good showing. Let me get back in that ring, man. I want to be I want to be on the high octanes in the casino shows. I don't want to be just a future shock guy. And as great as future shock is and draws and all that other stuff, your ultimate goal in FSW is to be on the main shows because that makes you a main guy or main girl. Right. So that's great. You sell a bunch of tickets, but selling tickets doesn't make you wrestle Shogun in the main event of high octane because you sold 14 tickets. Right. It's it's getting to that level that takes generally years. Yeah. And, you know, I'm not going to deny the fact that our rookie crop people within the last year and a half, two years, is honestly the most talented we've ever had in numbers like that. You know, there's numbers. Hey, there's two or three. It's always funny when you think of like, hey, who's for the rookie of the year? And and you kind of struggle to put somebody in who hasn't really had that many matches because you're trying to fill the void of, hey, I'm doing four or five people. Like now it's like, holy shit, there's like seven or eight of them. And where do you go? Because... So many of them have done great things. So I'm not discounting that fact other than I just think it was odd that nobody would have shown up the first day after. You would think that they'd want to, uh, even if it was for their own ego, to walk in because there's a bunch of students who don't have ever had matches and their goal is to get on the future shock. You'd think they'd want to be there for everybody to be like, oh, that was awesome. You did great. You know, everybody wants to feed that ego. You think you'd want to be there for people to tell you what a great job you did. But right. I digress. Uh, Maybe that's uh, part of what my job is. It's to, you know, find the negatives because everybody else is going to throw out every positive as possible. I'm not saying that I don't congratulate people to let them know they're doing good, but they, they also need to, they need to understand the bad mixed in with the good. It's right. the only way get better uh final thought before we uh uh, wrap up for this week uh 
kind of surprising news uh, that TNA has let go Scott Demore. Yeah, that was kind of crazy. I, I woke up, I'm, I'm scrolling down Facebook, and Mike Johnson, the guy who does the PW Insider, right. I guess, on my friends list. And I'm looking at it, and it's like, if it wasn't him, I'd be thinking, wow, what a fucking, what, what's this work? You know? And, you know, I'll be honest, I hit up some people, let them know, you know? I let somebody know who's like, what the fuck? Like, know about it. And, you know, it's interesting to see because there's some people that we're very close to that we're expecting to sign with TNA yep. and had conversations with Scott D'Amore. And I never got an answer if the deal's been finalized yet. You know what I mean? And, you know, I hit up Jay Vidal. He goes, yeah, by the time I got the news to him, they already had the, the talent meeting about it right and i just found some of the the way they worded things kind of weird yeah. you know and it's like okay so the guy who is the president of anthem who's never had any wrestling experience is taking over because right. they're trying to combine everything okay i i can get that but to express the terms, uh, Scott D'Amour has been terminated effective immediately. Right. Makes it seem like he was fired for something. Something. Yet they're putting him over. Thank you for your years. Of and it's like, why not just let him go out on top? Because you also turned off all your comments because everybody was pro Scott D'Amour. TNA's had their best run in their history. Supposedly, Scott was behind getting Jordan Grace and working out the deal for her to appear on the Royal Rumble. Right. Finding Dolph Ziggler, you know, getting Ospreay and Okada to wrestle on the shows. Like, yeah. man, it just seems out of the blue. But then I talked to some other people who felt that maybe... The writing was on the wall. And I hear that he may have known that the end was possibly near. Right. And it also raises it also raises questions, I think, of with everything and how popular things are. Uh, is this the time that Anthem looks to possibly cash in and make a sale to someone else? So. I, you know, I, I look at it as the same thing when the Dixie Carter years, right. you know, right. it was the same thing with the Tony Khan. Dad funded the thing and money was no object until the bottom line was after 10 years. Dixie Carter's father's like, we got to sell this motherfucker. You know, I can't keep losing millions of dollars every year. And many people feel the same thing that as much money as AEW brings in, they're bleeding way more. Right what they're bringing in and TNA because of the major company that owns them. To me, it was kind of like ring of honor with Sinclair that they use the company is more of a write-off anyway. Right. Like, I'm not sure that they're going to put TNA in the open bidding and be like, Hey, somebody's paying a hundred million dollars. I, right. I, I couldn't see, I can't see, 
to happen. Why, why pay 10 million? Why pay 5 million? You know, the only thing they're going to get money for is probably the catalog, which always seems to be what what, would move things and having, you know, all the early AJ Styles footage and, and, and all their guys, CM Punk and Samoa Joe and all the, all these people that came through the road or maybe the old stuff where, Hey, you know, let's buy all the stuff. We have the sting stuff or the Kurt angle, the Kevin Nash, because they've had every superstar in the, in the business there. Right. And again, it's like, okay, well, is TNA, we want to sell TNA. So let's make it more valuable and fire the main guy that's been there. Wouldn't wouldn't it be where they're on the top of their game instead of it look like they're in influx, like they just fired yeah. their guy? They're just kind of like the the wrestlers are going on there, basically bashing the fucking move. How yeah. would I top dollar for that at that point? I don't think you could. It looks like it's a sinking ship to some. Yeah, you know. So I don't know. I heard recently about some streaming deal that will include TNA in it where WWE is involved in it. Right. But it's also Warner Brothers, which AEW is involved in it. So, you know, when I saw the thing about the ESPN Plus and the companies involved, UFC, but I didn't see WWE. Right. So, because like WWE's negotiated their own deal. Yeah, exactly. That's the whole thing. And I saw, I think it was ESPN, Disney, and Warner Brothers. I think so. I I know Warner Brothers, and I know it's ESPN and Disney. Yeah, there might be somebody else. Yeah, there might be a a a third in there uh, or a fourth in there. It's 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 interesting now too because all these. all these entities that never would work with each other are trying to make as much money off that streaming as possible. So it's a different world. Uh, And the only reason I question anything is anytime I hear that an executive who has no experience in the wrestling business is taking over a position in a wrestling company that raises the biggest red flags uh if you're not an independent person like tony khan is um to why you know if it's a quick fix then that makes sense but uh that also brings up you know uh scott and uh i believe giselle are together does giselle end up leaving the company and what does that leave uh for jay vidal so yeah, uh, I talked with Jay, and I didn't know, but he's broken off. Uh, they just started that, yeah. So, from what I understand, the bookers are still going to be the same people, the creative staff. Gotcha. So, he said he had a match uh, on Explosion, and he wrestled, I believe, Laredo Kid. Yeah. And then the next day at the tapings, he wasn't expecting a match, and he got to wrestle Mike Bailey. So... An outsider looking that makes me say, hey, they must have liked what they saw in his match with Laredo Kid because Mike Bailey's probably considered one of their top three technical yeah. wrestlers in the company. Yep. And, 
and giving Jay Vidal that match is either a an audition to see, hey, you know what? Maybe maybe this guy can go in the X division, yep. and we can do something with him. But you know, that's also the hey, we trained Jay Vidal. I, I want to see the best for him. I know how much better he is than the opportunities he's kind of gotten yeah. uh, so far. And we've talked, and you know, I, he's got great ability. And he works hard and he, he you know, he does whatever they, they need him to do. And unfortunately, the, the role, as he knew, was kind of be trying to be a joke, kind of a joke. You know, he was there to take the beating. Right. You know, things like that. But you got to start at the bottom and work your way up. So, you know, hopefully uh, he started at the bottom and maybe now he's working his way up. But everybody's going to be on eggshells, new bosses. Yeah. yeah. So oh, what happens if that person doesn't like me? Oh shit. I'm fucking screwed. Yeah. yeah. So, it's going to be interesting. From what I read and that isn't through him, but what I read that it was a pretty generic meeting and yeah. the guy was taking over Anthony, uh, Chacon, I don't, I think might be his name, but read more of a prepared, you sure. know, thing. There was no questions allowed, and they just basically he had a prepared statement, read it, and that was about it. So, but yeah. you know, if there's any dirt coming, we're gonna hear about it in the next week or so. Yeah, let's see what Uncle Dave has to say about things. Yeah, and you know we will. But before we go, you know, yeah. my, you know, mention. Uh, as you said, you talked about the main event match. It's going to be Shogun versus Duke Lawrence Friday, February 16th, 7 p.m. at the FSW Arena. Yep. Uh, we also have uh, Damian Drake and Dante King. They're going to be uh, going at it one-on-one. -on -one. Obviously, it's something both men want. Yep. And we're going with it on there. Uh, the regulators will be in action. Uh, looks like they're going to be taking on the young tag team of the Killer D's, Davion and Demir. Nice. Despite losing to the Mariachis, I was very, very impressed with the progression of Demir Morningstar. You yeah. know, uh, early on, you know, I told him, it's like you're a fucking deer in headlights. Like you're intimidated by the moment. And, you know, he wrestled Gregory Sharp and he wrestled Funny Bone, which it's easy when it's one of your first matches to be in awe, but you also got to produce. And I felt the reason he got those matches was because he did produce in training and he was deserving of it. And he came up short when it came to the match for whatever reason. And for the first time when I saw him this past weekend, I saw a newfound confidence. I saw somebody who feels that they belong and that was their ring, and they got to kill him to beat him. And so, you know, he's only 18 and 19 years old, that tag team. Yeah. So, yeah, they're, they're going to have a lot of bruises, and they're going to take a lot of L's, but, you know, it could be a future top team, you yeah. know, down the line. Uh, also, I'm putting it together that the winner – of a four-way number one contenders match will challenge the heavyweight champion at no escape. Hmm. So the first two names signed are 
Hero Lou, and Matt Vandergrift. So those are two of the three guys that, you know, have a lot of great success. Sure. And Hero Lou, most recently, has a pinfall victory over Shogun. Right. So uh, we're looking actually at it as the the other two are also former champions. So that's the whole idea. So even though the third one, I'm just waiting on confirmation. Man, we haven't seen in a while. Big fan favorite in FSW. And he would be participant number three. And I am in the works of seeing who's best to be available uh, for that final slot. So, you know, it's definitely going to be a, a solid show from day on. Danny Limelight uh, will be taking on Fox Valentine, a match that was supposed to happen before I knew Fox was booked in North Dakota or something. So, uh, you know, Danny already has his match set with Hammerstone at the No Escape, right. which right now is March 31st at a casino to be named and uh brett the threat returns Damn. and he will be going one-on-one -on -one with one of the po boys jimmy jack so oh, that that's that's talk about talk about heat versus uh versus fan favorite right there Woo. yeah absolutely no doubt that's beautiful that's that itself is uh just exciting to see the fans get into that would be uh there's there's your uh there's your early match in the show right there that's a good uh get the crowd going yeah it'll be definitely interesting to see uh you know as the matchmaker i had a couple of ideas and one was for actually to have danny limelight wrestle jimmy jack touch <laughs> You know, it, it goes to the point when someone's over like that and you put you can put any one of those top uh, heels against them and you've got fire instantly for, for a match. That's pretty – that says a lot about what's going on with Jimmy Jack. Yeah, That's you know, cool. in a lot of cases, Chase Bell's unavailable. There's a good shot. I'm not going to use Jimmy Jack, but right. his popularity, you know, makes him – you know, when I'm trying to find a card, it's like, how, how do I just not use him? Yeah. Well, you know, and and, and he's got so much growth uh, ahead of him, too, which is such a, you know, it's such an amazing thing to be one of those few people who just has that charisma that fans gravitate towards, that likeness, uh, to where you can get him some really good experience with some of these guys who are phenomenal when you talk about, you know, guys who are great workers and who have natural heat with the audience. It's, it's spectacular to see. So I think, uh, and Jimmy Jack appreciates it. That's the other thing you see that you see. Oh no, Yeah. He's a good dude. You know, he, yeah. he earned his spot by working hard and yep. getting an opportunity. And I'll be honest with you. I didn't think that he was going to be a guy that we could really rely on. And, and he is that guy. And he's proved. And the people love him. So, you know, it's... There's sometimes you look at people and they far exceed your expectations. 
Right. Then there's the ones that unfortunately don't. And you're like, wow, you know. And the once great movie, uh, Bronx Tale, Wasted Talent. And there's nothing worse seeing people that, you know, could be or should be superstars. Right. Just let it slide by. Yeah. Absolutely. Business as it is. Yeah. Yeah. That's uh, that's the best words to end on right there. All right, everyone. Have a wonderful rest of your week, and we'll see you again next week.